Well, good morning. Great to see you all. I wonder uh, this morning if I were to ask you about what was the most memorable meal that you've ever had, uh, what would come to mind? Um, I'm going to give you a moment to share with somebody maybe next to you. What was a really memorable meal that you've enjoyed? Um, I'll have trouble getting you back, I'm sure, but uh, I'll give you an opportunity to share that. You might have even had enough time to share two memorable meals, but not three. (laughs) And I'm going to share four. (laughs) Okay. Thanks for... uh, sharing with each other so willingly. (laughs) When I was um, at university, or when I finished university, we were all looking for jobs. I did did engineering, so the engineering, we were all looking for jobs and all these jobs with big organisations came up and there was one uh, particular one at the Shell Refinery in Geelong and uh, so I applied for this and I, I got an interview. Anyway, the interview turned out to be really highfalutin thing in a, in a boardroom with all these executives um, and probably three of us who were potential candidates and I reckon a large part of the uh, process was how are these guys going to handle eating this? I hadn't grown up going to fancy restaurants and this was a whole fish, eyes and everything and bones all through the middle. I've only eaten fish from the fish and chip shop where it's all filleted, no bones and I had to try and eat that thing while I I must have made a mess of it because I didn't get the job. Um, But that was one memorable meal. I I did get a job working for a car company and uh, that involved some trips to Japan. And one of my favourite dishes in Japan was this thing they call shabu-shabu. And uh, who's who's ever had this? Yeah, some of you. It's really, really good. They, They... cut the beef into these little strips about three millimetres thick and they have boiling water in a big bowl on the table. You dip them in into this boiling water and vegetables as well. But the, the meat cooks in about a minute or less. It's just amazing. It's just so beautifully tender and you dip it in these nice uh, sauces. Very, very good. Now, the first meal was rather daunting at the Shell refinery because I felt under pressure. That meal was enjoyable. The food was magnificent, but the people I was with didn't speak English very well. Um, I think when we reflect, I think if you were reflecting on the meals that you've enjoyed, I I could get a sample, but I won't. Um, You'd probably find that the meals that were most meaningful for you were were the ones where you related to the people you were with. Uh, The people you were with were special to you. Um, This was a wedding that we went to in January, my niece, and it was a great day because there's a whole lot of people there who were all uh, supportive of this couple getting married, um, part of the family, family and friends, beautiful day. And uh, that's, that was a memorable day for us as a family. Um, but for most of us, probably Christmas dinner is very blurry, isn't it? But uh, Christmas dinner is a big one too, isn't it? And uh, those are memorable meals. Well, we're going to talk today about a meal, and you've seen it in the reading. Um, Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. They find, as you read the passage, that Jesus had all the, all the venue details in hand. It's just they go and it's all, it's all the room's ready, the, the person who they meet's there and all of that. Um, but making preparation for the Passover involved a whole lot of stuff. 
It involved overseeing the, the um, sacrifice of the lambs in the temple, the roasting of the lamb, the setting up of the room and the table, and making ready all the side dishes. And those of you who are coming tonight, you'll, you'll see some of this um, for, at our Passover uh, celebration. But the Passover was this carefully ordered uh, ritual meal celebration in which each element represented something really significant and it reminded the participants of the rescue and the redemption of the Israelites from bondage in Egypt, all their years of slavery. The Passover lamb which was sacrificed reminded them of the blood that they had to smear on the, on the lintel and the doorpost so that the, um, the firstborn Israelite child escaped the, the destroyer as judgment fell on Egypt. The unleavened bread was unleavened because they didn't have time to bake. They had to, to prepare in haste. There was a bowl of salt water representing the tears of their captivity. There were bitter herbs, the bitterness of their slavery. And then they had this stuff called karaset, I think it's karaset, and it was like a um, made out of nuts and, and sultanas and stuff mixed together. So it came out a brownie sort of look and it reminded them of the, uh, the clay that they'd had to use to make the bricks uh, when they were in slavery in Egypt. And then there were four cups of wine in this meal. And they refer to, um, if you look in Exodus chapter 6, it, it says there, I will bring you out of slavery, out from under the burden of the Egyptians. God says that. He says, I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. And I'll take you to be my people and I'll be your God. And so as they had these cups of wine, they remembered these promises that God had made. And the end of the meal, somebody, usually the youngest son of the family, was worded up to ask, why is this night different from other nights? And that was the opportunity for the, the host, usually the, the, uh, the father. And I guess in, in Jesus' case, it would have been Jesus, the host of this meal. It was the opportunity for them to recount the Exodus story, uh, this great salvation story in Israel's history, the story that they were to remember. God came. God intervened for us. God saved us. And uh, he set us free when we were enslaved. Remember, remember, remember. That was the purpose of the Passover. They celebrated it once a year, sort of March, April sort of time, I think, in our, in our calendar. Um, but I think the thing about this meal and what I, why I got you to think about meals you've enjoyed and probably because it was the people involved is that Jesus says, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you. This was clearly a meal that he was looking forward to. He really wanted to eat this Passover with his disciples. Uh, I think it's literally translated, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you. Why is he looking forward to it? It's the joy of sharing the meal, sure. It's probably also the joy of teaching them about what was to come and about the new covenant that is, is, is coming with him. And it's also the joy of bringing his work on earth uh, to a conclusion. John 13, one at the start of the Passover, when John records it, he says, having loved his own in, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And that's something of the emotion Jesus feels as he comes into this particular meal. I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you. But then it says... I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Luke's already recorded uh, at least three times where Jesus has tried to tell his disciples that he's going to suffer, that he's going to die, that he's going to rise again. And it would seem that they don't get it. But this is one of the, the last example in Luke 18. It says, Jesus took the twelve aside 
and told them, we're going up to Jerusalem and everything that's written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They'll mock him, insult him and spit on him. They'll flog him and kill him. On the third day, he'll rise again. Couldn't have been much clearer, really, could it? Um, The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them and they did not know what he was talking about. And so this whole Last Supper scene is centred around Jesus' suffering and death. It's centred around God's great sacrifice for us in the person of Jesus. And if we've been talking about this quietly loud uh, idea, surely this um, scene just depicts for us in in such um, a loud way what Jesus was about to do, about to give his life. Um, The message of that, the the story of that, is a, a story that needs to resonate loudly with us. And it's clearly in Jesus' mind that this is a, a resolve that he's made, that he's not going to celebrate this meal, a meal like this, uh, until the task is complete. He says it on two occasions in this passage. He says, I'll not eat it again until it finds fulfilment in the kingdom of God. I'll not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. You've had that sort of situation, haven't you, where you've been doing a task and you say, look, we might celebrate the start of it, but we're not going to celebrate again until we're done, but we will when we're done. And there's a sense in which Jesus is looking forward to a greater banquet, a meal in the future, in a day still to come, in a new heaven and a new earth, when the kingdom of God comes in its fullness and all of Jesus' followers are able to share fellowship in a meal in the, the full physical presence of Jesus again. Um, but during the meal, this meal, uh, with the disciples, he uses two of the Passover symbols and the bread and the wine, which we're familiar with, I hope, and he reinterprets them to speak really powerfully, loudly, if you like, about the task ahead, about the plan that has to unfold in order for his work uh, on earth to be done. His body's to be broken and his blood is to be poured out in death. And so this is what it says. He took the bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The fact that he institutes this new ritual in the context of the Passover meal that looks back to the Exodus Uh, The death of a lamb uh, is deeply significant. Jesus wants his disciples to know that as they celebrate this new meal uh, in the future, they're going to be recalling not the death of a lamb, but the death of the Messiah, God's son, Jesus himself. As the bread is broken, so his body was broken, given for them. Jesus is the sacrifice. His death isn't just any death. He dies for them his body is given for them he's the one who John refers to as the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and so as Jesus body is broken he says this bread is to represent that my body broken for you and then he in the same way it says after supper he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Jesus links the, the cup to the new covenant. Uh, some uh, 600 years before this uh, supper that we're talking about this morning, the prophet Jeremiah wrote these words. He said, 
The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. And so just as Old Testament covenants were sealed with blood, Jesus says the new covenant is inaugurated and it's going to be inaugurated in my blood, in his blood. And again, his disciples, he tells his disciples that it's for them. My blood poured out for you. Now, I want to share with you this morning that I believe this, for all of us here, is incredibly good news. It's the message that needs to be told loud and clear, and this Easter time is no better time to tell it. God is for us. God entered our world himself in the person of Jesus, God's one and only son. And Jesus suffered for us. He died in our place. In spite of what we might feel about ourselves, whether we feel broken and messed up and unworthy or unforgivable or ashamed, God loves each one of us and he offers us forgiveness and welcome into his family and the promise of eternal life simply by accepting what Jesus has done for us, his body broken and his blood poured out. You know, I came to understand this. I was very blessed to be born into a family where my parents understood this message really clearly. And when I was a young child, I realised that I had to make a choice for myself. Would I accept what Jesus has done for me or would I just go on living the way I, I wanted to? And at a, at a relatively young age, I, I prayed a prayer, a simple little prayer like this, and it said something like this, Dear God, thank you for loving me. Thank you that you want to be a part of my life and you want me to be a part of your family. Thank you for sending Jesus. Forgive me for the times when I've left you out of my life and chose to go my own way, make my own plans, make my own decisions. And now, please, God, come into my life and lead me and help me to live a life that pleases you. And you know, in a wonderful way, God answers that prayer. He comes into our life. He makes a difference. He changes us. He begins a process of transformation. In that verse, I love the part that uh, the New Covenant, it says, I'll put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I'll be their God and they'll be my people. There's something about this New Covenant that Jesus brings in, and we're not going to talk about it in detail this morning, but God, through his spirit, his personal presence, in the lives of those who choose to follow him, actually writes his law on our hearts. So we've not got the law written anymore on tablets of stone, but on the soft tissue of our hearts. God, by his spirit, enables us to live in a way that, uh, that pleases him, do things that we wouldn't be able to do in our own strength. So Jesus made relationship with God possible. Our relationship was broken and it needed to be restored. And through his sacrifice, through his broken body, through his poured out blood, he made it possible for us to come back into relationship with God. I trust that that's been your experience to uh, maybe pray a prayer like that or acknowledge in your life that you need God and to hand over the control of your life to him. He's done so much for you in Jesus. His body broken, his blood poured out. Now, I don't know if you've been at a meal, um, we've had a few in our family over the, over the years, where the atmosphere, which has been wonderful, 
just somehow somebody says something or somebody does something and it all just goes to, yeah. And had a meal like that. This was one of those meals. It says, Jesus just finished saying, my, my, my blood is going to be poured out for you in the new covenant. And then he says, but the hand of him who's going to betray me is with mine on the table. That puts a bit of dampener on things, doesn't it? The hand of the one who's going to betray me is with mine on the table. I've shared this amazing meal with you because I wanted to. I love you. But the hand of the one who's going to betray me is here with me on the table. And so we have Judas who has uh, somehow decided that Jesus isn't for him and he's going to sell him out. And so I think we, we have... Uh, that's one thing that goes bad. But I'm going to tell you about four things at the end of this passage that go bad. That's one of them. Judas, the betrayer, that's probably the worst one. But the next one it is, is just after that, it says, a dispute also arose amongst them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Troy mentioned this this morning in the baby dedication. It says this in the passage, beautiful uh, in, in the light of Bonnie this morning. This is what it says. After they've said, you know, the, considering who's going to be the greatest, Jesus says to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors, you know, the authority figures. Uh, but you're not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? And Jesus says, I'm among you as one who serves. Well, the disciples have got a problem. They uh, want to work out who's the greatest. Jesus tells them that ultimately they are going to have a great place in the kingdom, but actually there's some stuff has got to happen before that. But then um, Jesus talks to Peter. And Peter, we read later in the, in the New Testament, is an amazing uh, communicator of the good news of Jesus. Um, but Jesus knows he's, he's not going to get there without some difficulty. And he says to him, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. So he's saying, actually, I know you're going to fail. Um, I'm praying for you, but you're going to fail. But when you turn back, I'll have a job for you. Um, and Peter, in his boldness, replies, Lord, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to go with you to prison. I'm ready to go with you to death. And Jesus says, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you'll deny three times that you know me. And so we've had betrayal. We've had people wanting to have the highest place. We've had somebody who actually doesn't own Jesus. We read that later on, that Peter actually disowns Jesus. What, what is said here, what is predicted here by Jesus comes true. And then finally, there's a, a fascinating little bit at the end of this passage um, which I won't read you in detail, but it's like Jesus says, things are going to get tough. You know, in the past, you used to be able to go out and you'd, you'd, I'd say go out, don't take any stuff because you're going to get looked after. Don't worry about a knapsack or whatever. You're going to get looked after. But now he says, if you've got a knapsack, I've got this, take it with you, you'll need it. And also, if you've got, a cloak, I've got two cloaks, sell one and buy swords. And uh, this is a strange thing from Jesus, who's sort of, we, we know, is uh, non-violent. It's picture language. He's trying to say to them, it's going to get tough. And uh, you're going to need to stand up uh, because I'm not going to be with you. And 
anyway, they misinterpreted it all together. And uh, after he's finished talking to them about this, uh, they, they come out and they say, Oh, see, Lord, here are two swords. How good is that? Hey, we're armed against all the Romans. We've got two swords. We're going to be good. Um, and Jesus says to them, That's enough. And look, people interpret this in all sorts of ways, but I think what he's saying is, Hey, enough with that nonsense. Now, they obviously have the swords because later in the chapter, there's a bit of stuff goes on with somebody's ear getting cut off. Um, but I think at that point, Jesus makes it abundantly clear what he wants done with the swords and with that sort of violence. Um, but they don't understand. They don't discern. And so I wonder, um, and the guys, you, you guys who are going to uh, play for us at the end, maybe you can come up and, and get ready because I'm nearly finished. Um, but I wonder if... We talked about a message today that's a really loud, loud message. And it's the message of Jesus, body broken, blood poured out. But I wonder, as you look at this, we've got betrayal and pride and denial and confusion. They're all of the loud things that do injustice to the name of Jesus. And uh, they're the sort of things that, the things that I've written in, in green on the right there, loyalty, humility, courage discernment surely they're the things that should be standing out in our lives see if the good news of Jesus echoes loud through this meal that we've looked at this morning the behaviour of the disciples after the meal is perhaps the opposite absolute opposite of the posture that followers of Jesus would do well to adopt because it comes across as obnoxious loud if you like it comes across uh, the opposite of what Jesus would want. You see, the quiet qualities of loyalty and humility and courage and discernment lived out in the lives of followers of Jesus are the sort of things that are going to be attractive, that are going to enhance the, the good news message, that loud message that we have to proclaim all through the year, but especially at this Easter time, that God has come to us in the person of Jesus, that Jesus has offered his body to be broken for us. He's poured out his blood for us. I wonder, as we approach Easter with just a week to go, may God help us to let the message of Jesus' broken body and poured out blood stay loud through all our days. And may these quiet qualities be seen in those of us who dare to say that Jesus is our King. May God help us.